message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hi folks, and I'm sure that by now we're all really looking forward to being able to travel again into the countryside, either head to the beach or head to the hills. None of us like to be cooped up. It seems we were designed for freedom. And there's certainly something in us that innately knows that we belong to a higher realm. I mean, from the time we're born, man finds himself in a struggle to ascend, to rise up, either out of poverty into wealth or out of ignorance into knowledge, or rise up out of obscurity into significance and influence. Perhaps that is why we're forever climbing mountains. I mean, from ancient times, mountaintops were places people went to meet with God, to try to get closer to Him. Even throughout the scriptures, mountaintops are recorded again and again as places of encounter between God and man. I have some good news for you today. Since the coming of the Holy Spirit, you don't need to climb a mountain to meet God because the view, the perspective, the Holy Spirit enables you to live from is so much higher than any mountain. To be born of the Spirit is to be born from above that we may think from above. And today we're going to look at why that is so important. I want to show you from God's Word that those who think from above can speak from above. Words that bring the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the Son, onto the earth. Once again today, some of the things I'm going to say may sound over the top, but when it comes to expressing Christ's mind, His perspective of His body, the church, if our thoughts are not as over the top as the heavens are above the earth, then we're not speaking the mind of God. I really believe that the greatest need of the church right now is to awaken to the enormity of what Christ has done and what that means for who we are and whose we are. So much teaching in the church for generations has been earthly-minded. That is, it's based on a merely natural view of our lives. Unfortunately, as long as we keep thinking of ourselves as mere earthly men and women, trying our best to behave more like Jesus, then that is how we will live, as mere men. For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Proverbs 23, 7. But we live that way to the astonishment of angels and the heavenly realm who all see that God did not become man to improve our behavior, but to change our very being, our very nature, that we could rightly be called children of God, because we have been born of His Spirit, born from above, that we may think from above. The biggest problem in the church today is that multitudes of believers think more from below than from above. What is it to think from below? It is to think of yourself as from the earthly realm rather than the heavenly realm. It is to think of yourself as a child of the flesh rather than a child of the spirit. It is to think of yourself as a sinner rather than a saint. Unfortunately, that is not just a problem for the church. It is a problem for the world because God doesn't have a plan B. His answer to the needs of this world remains the coming of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. His chosen vessel for that move remains His Spirit-filled body, a people living on earth, 
but filled enough with his spirit to have their minds set in the heavenly realm. Now, what does that look like? It looks like a people so in communion with the Spirit of God that they're thinking the thoughts of God. And a people who are thinking the very thoughts of God are a people able to speak the very words of God. Words that renew the face of the earth with the knowledge of God. What God knows. Body of Christ, we were born from above in order to think from above, to draw our identity, our life from above, where Christ, who is our life, who is our head, now is. No wonder the Apostle Paul began all his letters, even to Christians like the Corinthians, whose behavior was not from above, with the words, to the saints, those sanctified in Christ. We're going to see today that Paul, like Jesus, didn't waste his time speaking to men after the flesh, according to their low opinion of themselves. Rather, his words, inspired by the Spirit of God, always called them upwards in Christ, to think from above, to think God's thoughts and who they were, for he knew that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Right now, there's a lot of talk about how the church has changed due to this pandemic and what church will look like in the days to come. How will our model of doing church change? I really believe that the real question is not how, but who. How we'll be doing church is not as important as who will be doing church. Believers thinking from below, or believers thinking from above. The words of the first will keep you grounded. They bring you down to earth with a bump. They speak words that are reasonable, rational, and respectable. But the words of the second will call you upwards in Christ. They will be words that sound to the earthly mind totally unreasonable and irrational. But they will give your soul wings. For under such words you will find yourself rising to think from God's heavenly perspective on your life. Believer, church, we were born from above to think from above. Only by thinking the thoughts of God can we speak the words of God, and only His words, spoken into the earth, bring the kingdom of heaven into the lives of men. No wonder the scriptures tell us that in fact the whole of creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the church to grow up into the fullness of all we were destined to be, sons who have grown up into the head, the mind of Christ. I really believe that when believers awaken to grow up into the reality of their union with Christ, then we live holier by accident than we ever can by religious striving. That's because of a truth that we have come back to many times over this last 11 weeks. Out of your heart flows your life. You cannot live beyond the borders of what you believe. A person will always behave as whom they believe themselves to be. I'll say that again. A person will always behave as whom they believe themselves to be. Do you know what that means? It means that despite the incarnation of God in flesh, his perfect life, atoning death, his resurrection, his ascension, the pouring out of his spirit, his union with his body, the joining of his spirit to yours, that even after all that, if you as a Christian still believe that you're just a poor sinner saved by grace, then that is exactly how you will live, as a poor sinner. For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Now you may think, believer, that is so humble of you to live as a poor sinner, but that in fact is not true humility. For humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, 
It is thinking of yourself less. The problem with us as believers drawing our identity from being a poor sinner is that what we think is a strength, a continual consciousness of sin, is actually a weakness. For as long as we remain more conscious of our life in the flesh than our life in Christ, more sin-conscious than sun-conscious, then we live too self-conscious a life to reveal Christ. Hebrews 10 tells us that this is why the blood of Jesus is superior to all the blood of bulls and goats, because all the sacrifices of the old covenant could never take away the believer's consciousness of their sins, but in fact were a constant reminder of their sins. The same passage declares that if those sacrifices had been able to cleanse, make perfect those drawing near, then they would have been left with no consciousness of their sins. It then goes on to contrast the repeated sacrifices of the Old Covenant with the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. Do you know why his sacrifice never needed to be repeated? Because by one sacrifice for sins for all time, Christ has taken away our sins so that we do not have to live being constantly reminded of them and so living constantly self-conscious. How can you tell if the ministry you're sitting under is more Old Covenant than New Covenant? That's easy. Just ask yourself these questions. Is going to church for you more a constant reminder of your sins or a constant reminder of your righteousness? When you come before the Lord's table and are asked to examine yourself, have you been taught to examine yourself after the Spirit or after the flesh? In truth, by whose obedience do you really believe you're made righteous? Yours or Christ's? No wonder the Apostle Paul declared that the glory of the Old Covenant was nothing compared to the glory of the New. Listen to what he said to the Corinthians recorded in 2 Corinthians 3 from verse 9. If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all, compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? There was a glory to the Old Covenant sacrifices that brought sin consciousness to God's people, but don't dare compare that to the glory that the New Covenant brings to His people, sun consciousness. Why do so many of us as believers live such self-conscious lives that we find it hard to speak openly of Christ? Because we have sat for so long under ministry that makes so much of sin and so little of Christ, that it has left us more sin conscious than sun conscious and so left our hope more in our sinning less life than in his sinless life. As Paul said to the Galatians, a gospel that leaves your hope on what you do is no gospel at all, for it leaves you so wrapped up in yourself that instead of growing up, heirs to the liberty and authority of a son of God, multitudes of believers remain as little children, incapable of staying out of trouble without being restricted by a list of do's and don'ts. Large parts of the church still remain today, in the words of Paul, under the tutorship of the law. Have you ever seen a middle-aged man living completely under the domination of his mother and being spoken to by her as if he was still a little boy, needing to be told everything he should do? It is such a sad sight. Being spoken to continually as if he is incapable of adult life has left him crippled by insecurity, 
terrified of making a mistake, and too self-conscious to appear anything to the world but a bit weird. This was never God's vision of his church. Jesus loved and respected his own mother, but he never allowed her to come and take him home out of harm's way. And believe me, being a good mother, she did try. He had a destiny to mature into, and so does his body, the church. We love and respect the old covenants, but as believers, we cannot continue to live as if the incarnation of God in flesh, his perfect life, atoning death, triumphant resurrection and ascension, and the pouring out of his very spirit into our lives changed nothing. Well, in fact, it changed so much that Jesus said that the least believer under the new covenant is greater than John the Baptist, the best of those who lived under the old. Christ did not go through all he did to leave us as infants under the tutorship of the law. We have received the spirit of sonship so that we cry, Abba, Father. What does that mean? It means that we were born from above to think from above, to see ourselves as God sees us, his children. Because as children of God, born from above, born of his spirit, our hope now of being like God is not in what we do, but in who we are. As children of God, our hope now of being like God is not in what we do, but in who we are. Why? Because when you have your father's DNA as your source, you don't have to produce his likeness by trying. You just have to bear his likeness by growing. <laughs> when you have your father's DNA as your source, you don't have to produce his likeness by trying, only bear his likeness by growing. Because just like in the natural, everything reproduces after its kind. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit to spirit. You know, in the natural, when I was younger, my aspiration was to be like my father. So much so that I even became a vet because I was trying so hard to be like him. But now that I have grown, I have discovered something that has stopped me from putting any more effort into being like my father. I have discovered that growing up, I am becoming more and more like him, and there's nothing I can do about it, because I have his DNA. Christian, don't you know that you are the very temple of the Holy Spirit? You don't just have DNA in you, you have the creator of DNA in you, the very Spirit of God. Now all you have to do to bear the likeness of God is to grow in the Spirit. Listen to the last recorded words we have of the Apostle Peter. Church, do not fall into error but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sorry if this upsets you, but it has to be said. The biggest source of error in the church is not growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not growing in intimacy with the heart of the Father always, always leads to error. That has been a recurring phenomenon in the church down through the centuries. It is astonishing how many believers can even experience a move of the Spirit to be participants in a time of revival and yet end up within a generation so legalistic and fearful that they're the ones who oppose the next move of the Spirit because they've sat for so long under sin-conscious ministry that they have become experts in identifying sin but can no longer identify the heart of the Father. Jesus describes such believers as blind, blind guides who swallow camels in their attempt to strain out a gnat a fly. Perhaps you've even seen this happen. 
when someone comes to church for the first time and a so-called mature Christian points out to them something about their lifestyle or their language or their dress that they consider inappropriate for a church and the person never comes back. The gift of camel swallowing is not a gift of the Spirit, but it is prevalent in church environments where a gospel is preached that causes people, in the words of the Apostle Peter, to become short-sighted to the point of blindness because they have forgotten what Christ has done about sin. The biggest source of error in the church is not growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the natural man, the biggest reason for lack of growth is poor diet. It's the same in the spirit. The biggest reason for that lack of growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ in the church is the diet she is being fed, the gospel she is partaking of. If the church ministry we've been sitting under for years has never matured us into the love and liberty and authority of our sonship in Christ, it is because that ministry has left us so self-conscious that like the man who buried his talents, we're too afraid to operate in the liberty God has given us for fear of being wrong. Just look how prevalent the fear of being wrong has become in the church. It's so sad to see the number of ministries and believers on social media who have lived for so long on a diet of fear that they end up now seeing nothing wrong with joining a virtual online stoning of some person or group whom they disagree with in the name of him who died for those same people. Now I've been speaking this morning to the church, although I've said in the weeks past I'm quite confident the power of the Spirit to open the heart, the understanding of anyone listening to this message, but I've been speaking to the church about sin consciousness because I honestly think that much of the church sees sin consciousness as of more importance than sun consciousness. Now church, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Phelan, that sounds like you're minimizing the seriousness of sin. You need to keep reminding believers what God thinks of sin. Okay then. If that's what you want, here goes. Let me remind you, believer, what God thinks of sin, of that which was separating him from us. He thought it was such an awful thing to be separated from the ones you love and to see that they could do nothing about that separation, that he decided, even from before the foundation of the world, that he would do something about sin. Now, can you remember, believer, what he did? Why is that such an important question? Because to every person, believer and unbeliever, listening to this message, I can say the same thing. In the same way that the root of a tree is what determines the branches, your life today, the life you're leading, is the direct result of what you are believing he did. In other words, whether you're believing the gospel that heaven believes. If you are believing that Christ, by one sacrifice for sins forever, has made an end forever to sacrifices for sins, and being God has done such a perfect work that he has now sat down and isn't even thinking about your sins because he's put them out of his mind forever. In other words, if you're believing in Hebrews 10, 1 to 14, if you're believing that, then you are allowing the mind of Christ on you to be your mind on you. And as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. If you're now believing that your sins do not separate you from God, then you are now living in the peace of God, the irony of God, the being set at one of God. So because God has always known that as a man thinks, so he is, because he made us that way, his way of you and I being restored to him and his likeness was always to give us his thoughts, his truth about us, so that we can live from his truth about us, what he has done, and not this world's truth about us, what we have done. We were born from above in order to think from above. 
This world's truth about us, what the Bible calls the spirit of this world, is that you and I can save ourselves if we're willing to sacrifice enough. Does that sound strangely familiar? If it does, it's because the spirit of the world so influences the church of every generation that for many earthly-minded believers, that is the gospel. God saves those who sacrifice enough. In other words, God saves you on the basis of your life, not his. God saves you on the basis of your sinning last life, not his sinless life. In other words, it is you and your life that qualifies you to partake of God's life. That is not the mind of God on you. His mind on you is that it is the Father who has qualified you and delivered you from the power of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of His Son, in whom you now have, through the power of His blood, the forgiveness of sins. His mind, a new believer, is that you died to that old separated from God by your sin's life, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Hebrews 10 tells us that under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats covered the sins of God's people. But that is not what Jesus' blood does. If you think that all Jesus' blood does is cover over your sins and the root of your sins, you're disconnected from God life so that outwardly you look presentable, but underneath you remain at your root the same old sinner, then you have underestimated the power of the blood of Jesus. For Christ didn't come to deal with the branches. He came to take an axe to the root. For as every good gardener knows, if you don't deal with the root of something, then no matter how many times you cover it up, it will keep growing back again and again. Church ministry that does not bring believers into a revelation of their righteousness never deals with the root of their behavior issues. It only ever trims the hedge. If the blood that atones for your sins does not deal with the root of your sins, your separation from God, then that blood will have to be applied again and again. Jesus had no time for any work that was only interested in changing behavior, the outer appearance of a life but did not change the fundamental nature of that life. That's why to the religious at that time, Jesus pictured their lives as like whitewashed tombs, looking clean on the outside, but inside full of rotten flesh. He described their religion as cleaning the outside of the cup. Listen to his words from Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside, they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Notice carefully Jesus' words there. He didn't say, first clean the inside of the vessel and then clean the outside of the vessel. He said, first clean the inside of the vessel, that the outside of them may be clean also. You see, change the root and the branches will change. Change the root and the branches will change. Old covenant ministry can never bring true lasting change to your life because in refusing to see you as righteous, it can never speak to you as God now sees you. And the only thing in all of creation that has the power to transform your life is the testimony of Jesus about you. Words from above, what the Bible calls the spirit of prophecy. Out of your heart flows your life. So church, what are you believing in your heart about who you are because of what Christ has done? Church, what do you see? Do you see what the Holy Spirit sees? Do you see what your life as a believer looks like to God? 
This is why we have been given the Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of our heart, that we may perceive ourselves, start to see ourselves with the eyes of Christ, to think of ourselves with the mind of Christ. His mind in us is not that he has stuck new branches onto an old root. His mind in us is that the old root, our separated from God life, was put to death on that cross, so that now we can live an entirely new life, a resurrected life that triumphs over sin and death as light always triumphs over darkness. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to keep speaking to us words that open our eyes to his heavenly perspective of us, words that bring our thinking and so our living out of the darkness of separation life and into the light of union with God life, life in God. That's why the Holy Spirit wrote these very words, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind there on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Church, did you hear how God sees us? He sees us as in him. He sees our life as Christ's life. You can't live from a higher view of your life than that. And opening people's eyes to his thoughts on their life, giving them his mind in them, showing them his life, his righteousness in them, has always been God's way of calling people into the high calling he has for their lives. We are born from above that we may think from above, speak from above, live from above, that the kingdom of heaven would be seen on the earth in the lives of all those born from above. When it comes to expressing Christ's mind, his perspective of his body, the church, if our thoughts are not as over the top as the heavens are above the earth, then we're simply not speaking the mind of God. There is no higher life to live in this earth than that of someone who believes God to be their father. There is no higher life to live in this earth than that of someone who believes God to be their father. Only by listening to the Holy Spirit can the church grow up into this life. But God's people have always been offended at the heights to which he is calling them to live. The offense of the gospel has always been the generosity of God's grace. For in leaving no room for our performance, it has left no room for our pride. We have been saved entirely by the grace of God and this a gift that no man should boast. So we've seen this morning that it is the root that determines the branches. Out of your heart, what you're believing, flows your life, your behavior. The Apostle Paul believed this so strongly that people cannot live beyond the revelation they have, beyond what their hearts have seen and so believed, that when he came across issues of gross sin in the lives of believers like the Corinthians, he did not waste his time trimming branches. He went straight to the root. He did not say to them, can you not stop? You're not righteous. He declared time and again, can you not see? You are righteous. Paul knew that in our lives, real change does not begin on the outside by telling us to change our outer behavior. Real change begins on the inside, at the level of revelation in the heart of a person, that in Christ they are no longer the person they used to be. Rather, they are now who God sees them to be in Christ, a totally new creation, sharing the sinless life of God.
That's why 2,000 years later, what the Spirit says to the church, says to believers entangled in sin, remains the same. Why are you behaving like mere men? Have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten how God sees you? No, you're not. Church, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you believer, in all your spiritual blindness, grasping for the things of this world, Christ lives in you. His perfect sinless life lives in you. That's the great scandal of the gospel. Paul knew that what sets believers free from the power of sin is the revelation, not that grace only covered them up and deep down below, they are still the same old slave to their appetites, but the revelation that deep down below in their innermost being, in their spirits, grace, the very presence of God changed their very nature and they are now born of God, one with the sinless life of Christ, for they who are joined to God are one spirit with him. Grace is not a fig leaf to cover over our sinful nature. Grace is not a thing disconnected from the life of God. Grace is not a dead leaf. It is a living tree, a tree of life in you, the very presence of God's Spirit in you. For a world living under the power of sin, living in separation from God, their greatest need in order to see their separation is not another lecture on the darkness of sin. They need to see people living in the light of their union with God. The church is called to be that light. People living from their heavenly union with God and so manifesting the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the sun on the earth. People who've been born from above, that they may think from above and speak from above. Words that bring the kingdom of heaven into the lives of earthly men. The question before the church right now is not how will we be doing church? It is rather the same question that has always mattered most. The same question that has always faced the church. Who will be doing church? Those thinking from above or those thinking from below? Now, under the sound of this message, I declare to you, let the kingdom of the Father come. Let his will be done on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. By us receiving today our daily bread, his word on our lives, for his word is the first word on us and the last word on us. God bless you.